All right, if you take God's precious word and turn to the book of Proverbs, please. Proverbs chapter 1. God willing, we'll be expounding verse 7 tonight. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. One time to turn there. We're moving into a new phase of our study of the book of Proverbs tonight. Last week we finished the introductory portion of our study where Solomon was basically telling us the reasons that we have the Proverbs, the benefits that God has given us uh, by giving us this wonderful book. And that portion of the book was designed, I believe, to create a hunger in God's people for his wisdom. And I believe it has created that hunger in the hearts of many of our church members and our viewers. I've heard from some of them. I know it certainly has for me. And uh, so now that we know the benefits of gaining the wisdom of God, I thought I heard someone out in that parking lot. I thought I did. Because of my incredibly sensitive and well-trained ears, Brother Shepherd. Yes. But now that we, we're in Proverbs 1-7 tonight, and now that we know the benefits of gaining the wisdom of God through that introductory study, now that we have that holy hunger for the wisdom of God, I hope you all do, then how do we actually go about getting the wisdom of God? All right, we're hungry. Now what do we do? Where do we begin? Well, verse 7 answers that question for us. Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, this kind of knowledge is not the knowledge that you get in a school book. You don't have to have the fear of the Lord for that. But uh, this is divine knowledge. This is essential knowledge. This is heavenly knowledge, the knowledge that once you gain it, it doesn't perish with the earth. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I purchased a charcoal grill, a luxury charcoal grill the other day to go with my luxury charcoal smoker. And that grill, <laughs> I say that because the guy at work, he's always wanting me to get one of these pellet grills, you know, they just the... Fancy kind. I'm just old school, I guess. I just, second night it works. And I'm a little cheap. So, but I purchased a charcoal grill to go with my, my charcoal smoker. And, and that grill had a lot of parts to it that had to be assembled when I brought that box in the house. And when I opened up the box, I got out the uh, in, in assembly instructions that came with that grill where do you think I began, Jeremy and the kids? Did I begin at step four? No. no. Where did I begin? Step one. That's absolutely right. Next time, y'all get to put my grill together for me. If you've already got that figured out. But I didn't be begin at, at step four. I started 
reading at step one, and if I had started on the wrong step, then I could have later discovered that I'd left out an important step to that grill, had to undo everything and then start over and put it back in the proper order and do it all over again. These Proverbs are sort of like that in the sense that they also have a beginning step because God is truth. You hear that? God is truth. And with truth... There is always logic and order. You hear that? God is truth. And with truth, there comes logic and order. And the proper order we must take to receive divine knowledge is to start at the beginning. And all things begin with God. We've got, we've got Buddhists. We've got monks. We've got other Eastern-based religions and philosophies. We've got some American religions, in the sense that that are disguised as, uh, but uh, as non-religions, but they really are. They're based on Eastern religion. And they try to get their wisdom, their knowledge, their enlightenment. From meditation. Um, That just don't work for me. Don't work for me. You can meditate all you want to. And that's like trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. There's no divine knowledge there. You see? And so they can do that. They can come up with some clever sayings. Some wise ancient Chinese proverbs or whatever. They can come up with some of these things, but there won't be light, the light of God, that, that, that divine higher power that they want to say, it won't be there because it has to come from God and it can't come from anywhere else. In the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God created, the Bible says. Everything began with God. So the fear of God is the beginning of that higher knowledge, that divine knowledge that man seeks. Solomon said divine knowledge all starts with, look back in your text, the fear of the Lord. Let's visit on that just a little bit. I talk to a lot of folks who are very, very afraid when they write in for help or they call for help. The term fear of the Lord is used throughout the Bible. And you know something? The fear of the Lord is celebrated as a very valuable possession for a person to have. When we think of the word fear, we usually associated in our English language with uncomfortable and unwanted feelings. Feelings like anguish and distress, right? And nobody wants to have anguish and be distressed. So because of their past upbringing, maybe with their family and some things that were told them, uh, I think someone told me last week that they were told or one of their parents told them that if, if they didn't do right, God was going to send them to hell, you know. 
kind of like when I was a highway patrol trooper, and I know this probably happened with Brother Shepherd many times, may still happen with him now, but we'd walk into a restaurant, and there would always be this really one dumb parent who would poke their child and say, he's going to get you. You better be careful. He's going to get you and make those children scared of that uniform. It's very sad. But because their upbringing or past religious teaching, maybe what they've heard in church, a lot of people are actually afraid of God. I mean, they're, they're really afraid of God. And, and when these people look here in the Bible and they read about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of knowledge, it, it may cause them to have uncomfortable thoughts and feelings about God. And we think, oh, man, is that what it takes to have knowledge? I've got to be afraid of God. So when Solomon says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, is Solomon saying that God wants me to be afraid of him? Is that what he's saying? Because if God wants me to be afraid of him, then would you agree that's going to complicate my relationship with God? I mean, let me give you an example. How can I run to God for help when I'm afraid if I'm afraid of the God I'm running to? Might as well just sit still and take the torment, right? The answer is, I can't. How can I rejoice in my love for God if I'm terrified of Him? I can't. Church, I don't care what somebody may have told you in the past. God does not want you to be afraid of him. Well, how do you know, Brother Richard? Because the God Solomon is talking about is the one the disciples saw walking on the water in Matthew chapter 14. They looked up. I mean, come on. It's not every day you see someone walking on the water. They didn't have a clue who that was. They looked up, they were scared to death. Uh, and, and, and Matthew 14, 25, Matthew said, In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, or as Scooby-Doo would say, it's a ghost, right? It's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Disciples were afraid. And if God wants us to be afraid of him, then Jesus would have had his disciples right where he wanted them right then. When they, when they cried out for fear, he would have thought, <laughs> I got him. Next time I'm going to do something even more scary. But that's not what he did. When his disciples cried out for fear, Matthew said, But straightway or immediately, as soon as they cried out for fear, as soon as he saw they were afraid, straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Isn't that good? You ever, hey, men especially, but women too. You ever walked into the house? Your husband or your wife or one of your kids are in there. And they're singing or whatever, or or they're doing something, and, and maybe they're sewing. They're distracted, and they didn't hear you walk into the house. And suddenly they hear you, 
and they get scared. They scream or something. And what do you do? It's me. It's me. Right? It's okay. It's okay. That's what Jesus was doing. Hey, it's me. It is I. It's Jesus. In other words, there was an assumption there that, hey, when they know it's me, they'll be happy to see me. They won't be scared. God doesn't want you to be scared of him. Church, the Hebrew word for fear here, it means reverence. Reverence in this context. So that's how we're to understand the word fear in this passage. Solomon is talking about the reverence of the Lord. You see, in order to receive the knowledge of the Lord, you must first have reverence for the Lord. It's impossible to get the knowledge of God without having the fear of God. You must first revere the Lord, which the King James translates as fear the Lord. And the idea behind the word fear in the Hebrew is to stand in awe. Wow. Just stand in awe. You're awestruck. About 20 years or so ago, we invaded Iraq. And some of you were too young to remember that. You weren't around then. But it seems like yesterday to me. And I remember the United States military saying that they were going to, in this particular campaign, conduct such a devastating campaign that they were going to just rapidly bombard, bang, 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 and just overwhelm Baghdad so quickly, so rapidly that they wanted them to to just, oh, just break in their emotions and surrender. And how many of y'all remember how they described the campaign? Shock and awe. That's absolutely right. I was not the only one watching the news during that time. Shock and awe. That word awe is the idea behind this word fear, awe. Now, to be in awe of a military attack is a bad thing to experience. But to be in awe of God's creation is a good thing to experience. Once they knew it was Jesus, they could be in awe and say, Look at that. Even the winds and sea obey our God, right? They could stand in awe of God. So it all depends on the context in which we use the word awe, which is the same as the word fear here in Hebrews, in the, in the, in the language of, of Hebrew. So until we learn to stand in awe of God, to acknowledge Him, that is, as our eternal Creator, our Lord and Master, our Redeemer and Friend, the source of all wisdom and truth. In the origin of every good thing, until we can acknowledge Him for that, for who He is, then we will never have the knowledge of God. Which is why anyone who dismisses the notion of Jehovah, the one true God, No matter how much they meditate, no matter how much schooling they get, they are abiding in darkness, as the Apostle John says. As one must first acknowledge the well before he can drink the water. 
So we must first acknowledge the Lord before we can taste his wisdom. The fear of the Lord that is revering God for who he is, Solomon says, look back in your text, is the beginning of knowledge. Because if you don't acknowledge God for who he is, then your mind can no more contain divine truth than a barbed wire fence could contain Cedar Creek Lake out here. Just not possible. Knowledge is built on knowledge. So if you don't first have the knowledge of God, who he is, you'll never be able to have knowledge from God. Knowledge is built on knowledge. Uh, the, the apostle Paul put it this way, from faith, faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. But it goes from faith to faith, from knowledge to knowledge, from truth to truth. One divine principle built upon another. We learn numbers, and then we learn to add, subtract, and divide. We learn letters, and then we learn to read and write. Numbers are the beginning of our mathematical comprehension. Letters are the beginning of our reading comprehension. And the fear of God is the beginning of our divine comprehension. There are a lot of people right now who have seminary degrees hanging on the wall. And they're in absolute darkness and they're on their way to hell. You must acknowledge that numbers mean something. You have to acknowledge the numbers for their value or you won't be able to count. You have to acknowledge letters or you will never be able to read. You must acknowledge God or you'll never be able to live By the light of the glorious gospel. And once you live by the knowledge of God, then you can finally grow in the knowledge of God. The fear of the Lord, not simply accepting the fact that there is a God, but standing in awe of the truth of who the Bible says God is and what the Bible says God has done for us. There are a lot of people who claim to believe in God. We're going to learn about them a little more in the book of Jude this Sunday morning. But they claim to believe in God, but they're educated fools because they do not fear God. They don't stand in awe of him. Now, remember that term in the military, shock and awe. So there is a time when the word awe should be associated with being afraid. And in the same way, there is a time when the word fear, even the fear of the Lord, should be associated with being afraid. If you're a Christian living in sin, then you should be afraid of God. Can can a Christian, let me ask you, can a Christian live and think foolishly? Absolutely they can. All you got to do is come to Sunday school and listen to some of the crazy things these kings do, right? They make crazy decisions. A a, a Christian can live and think foolishly in in some degree, make very foolish decisions. So if you know Christ as your Savior, but you've been living foolishly, then the fear of the Lord is where you need to begin in order to get back on the right track with God. Christian, do not confuse 
your eternal security with your earthly security. I'm going to say it again. Do not confuse your eternal security with your earthly security. What are you talking about, Brother Richard? Well, God's not going to be mocked. If you're living in sin, God is not going to be mocked by your sin. Whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. Moses. Did Moses have eternal security? You bet he did. Is Moses in heaven? Yes. He appeared on uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses is in heaven. But he died without entering Canaan. Why? He disobeyed God. Sin. Samson. Did Samson have eternal security? Absolutely. You go to the book of Hebrews. He's mentioned in the hall of faith. A man of faith. Samson is in heaven. But the Philistines put out his eyes. And he died in shame. Why? Because he didn't take his Christian life seriously. And he sinned against God. King David, did he have eternal security? You better believe it. We've got eternal covenants made on the eternal security of King David. King David is in heaven. But he suffered banishment from his own kingdom. And his house was troubled till the day he died. And then even after that. Why? Because he let his guard down. And slept with another man's wife. Sinned against his God. Christian, you can be eternally saved, but in a whole lot of earthly trouble. And it's no fun. And I've seen it in people's lives. I've watched people suffer greatly who were believers in Jesus Christ. Because, just like David, just like Samson, just like Moses, God bless him. They let their guard down. Every one of these men had one thing in common. Samson. I mean, man, who? Brother Doug's teaching on Samson the, uh, last Sunday. What little boy reads about Samson whooping up on those Philistines? That's why Brother Doug used theological terms when he's teaching. He said, whooping up. I heard him. What boy doesn't like reading about Samson whooping up on somebody with a jawbone of an ass and think, boy, wouldn't that be the neatest thing? Just go whoop a whole schoolyard full of these unbelieving people. But every one of these men had one thing in common. They all had an extraordinary walk with God. Extraordinary. David slays Goliath. He's a king. He's a prophet. Moses was a prophet. He delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt and all, performed by the grace of God all these miracles. They all had extraordinary walk with God. But the blessing of God on their lives became so common to them. But they lost their awe of God. That's what happened. They lost the wonder of God. Ravi Zacharias talked about that one time. 
he said that he was going to some country, I guess, I believe, on a mission, preaching or evangelism. And they were like in this area and his, his daughter, they were waiting, had time to kill. And his daughter had this balloon. It was a helium balloon. I remember when I grew up, we didn't have helium balloons. You just blew it up and you bounced it. And I remember seeing pictures like on TV and stuff of balloons that just went straight up on a string. I thought, wow, that'd be neat to have one of those. I remember when I first got a helium balloon, I did the same thing his little girl did. You'd take it, you'd be inside, let go, hit the ceiling, you grab the string, let, you know. It, it, it entertains you for a long time. And he said he watched his daughter. Not talking to you, Siri. He said he watched his daughter play with that balloon. It was just an awe. He said, but now that she's older, that balloon doesn't mean anything to her. What happened? Same balloon. Same kid. Same physics. She lost the wonder of the balloon. It became so common. Get healing and lose everywhere. And he says, if we're not careful, we also can lose our wonder for God. I think that's what Moses and Samson and David did. Miracles and closeness of God and divine inspiration became so commonplace. They let their guard down. They should have been afraid to have sinned against God like they did. And so should we. The blessing of God upon our lives, it should invoke our praise. But oftentimes, it results in our pride. And if you're proud and you've lost your awe of God, and that's allowed you to step off into to living the type of life that you should not be living right now, and we're all subject to that. We all could fall to that. If that's happened to you, you should be afraid of God's chastening hand. Just as Moses was chastened, Samson was chastened, David was chastened. God loved them, but boy, God whipped them good. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, but the pride of man is the beginning of his fall. If you know Christ as your Savior, your, your sin won't send you to hell, but it may send you from your family. Your sin won't send you to hell, but it may send you to prison. Your sin won't send you to hell, but it may send you to the hospital. Your sin won't send you to hell, but it may send you to an early grave. I heard a story on the Christian radio station just last week about this pastor was talking about a man he knew who divorced his wife, ran off and married another woman. Preacher said he leaves his wife he marries this other woman. They're married for six months. And then he dies. He dies. And the preacher said, I wonder if the man would have known that after he married her, he's only going to live for six months. <laughs> Just six months. Would he have stuck it out with his wife? You know he would have. But instead, you know what happened? He dies. And now, 
who comes and grieves at the funeral? His wife of 25 years that they had kids with? Or some chick that he's been with for six months? Isn't that awkward? But that's the mess that we get ourselves in all the time. Maybe you're thinking right now, but Brother Richard, I know a Christian who sinned and and left his wife or, or her husband, and they've been happy for years together. Well, let me tell you people something. People may appear happy on the outside. We don't usually see all the pain and sorrow that sin causes on the inside behind those closed doors. Even if an adulterous couple lived happily for many years in their sin, and even if there was absolutely no known chastisement of God the whole time they live out the rest of their lives on this earth, their time on earth will come to an end. And when those years are finally over, that Christian will still have to face eternity. That Christian will still have to stand before God and give an account for his or her sin and reap the loss of eternal rewards. I've heard so-called Christians being rebuked for their sin. Someone would say, you shouldn't be doing that. You're wrong. And I've heard Christians say, I'll have to answer to God for this. In other words, I don't answer to you. I'll have to answer to God. And I wonder if they really know what it's going to be like to answer to God. Speaking of that, Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. They act like it's no big deal. Well, I'll answer to God one day for that. Instead of, oh dear God, i got to answer to God for, the, for this one day. That's what it should be. Do they, you know what's wrong with them, Brother Doug? You know why they're living in sin? They don't fear the Lord. In that case, they should fear God. Should fear His chastening hand. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you also should be afraid of God. Because in his holiness, if you don't know Christ, God will condemn your guilty soul to hell if you're not sheltered in the cross of his son. Maybe you're a Christian, you've strayed in your walk with God, and you you just don't know how to get back on track. You feel like God's a thousand miles away. You're like, man, he's probably through with me. He may be tired of messing with me. No, there's always that first step. And Proverbs is telling us where it is tonight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom that you need tonight. You start by going back to the beginning, to the fear of the Lord. Because the moment you are afraid, if you're a Christian, the moment you are afraid that God will chastise you as a Christian, then that's the beginning a wisdom for you again in your walk with God. That's a start. Or the moment as a non-believer, you are afraid that God will condemn your sinful soul to hell as an unbeliever. Then that's the beginning for you on your journey to the cross. To take refuge in the sacrifice Jesus made. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Look back in your text. But fools despise wisdom and, and instruction. This is the first time we see the word fool in the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be seeing it a lot. Being foolish is the opposite of being wise. Fools, Solomon said, despise wisdom and instruction. We're going to see a description of wisdom and a description of foolishness over and over again in the book of Proverbs. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. They hate it. They don't want the knowledge of God. They don't fear God. They don't acknowledge God as their loving creator. They don't give God the respect he deserves. They're like the devil. They're a bunch of know-it-alls, and they just can't be told anything. So they see no value in God's wisdom, and they see no value in being instructed by a, a, a man of God. And in fact, again, they hate it. A wise person doesn't want to, to be burned. Just think of being in the kitchen for a moment. A wise person doesn't want to be burned, so he fears the stove, or she fears the stove. I do. But a foolish person has no fear of the stove, and so they ultimately get burned. Make sense? Tell a wise person, hey, the stove's hot. They'll say, Thank you, and they're going to stay away from that burner. You tell a fool that the stove is hot, he's going to be offended. He's going to despise you for it. You don't think I know that. Or I'm not scared of that stove. Or I've been around stoves all my life. Can't tell him anything. As for me, I find it much better to fear the stove. Because when you fear the stove, you can enjoy the food. Without getting burned. And when you fear God. You can enjoy the life he's given you. Without getting burned. You get outside the fear of God. You're going to get burned. If you know Christ. You won't burn forever. But you're going to scorch your finger down here on earth. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows. That shall he also reap. Fear God. And depart from evil. With that we'll go ahead and stand and be dismissed. Proverbs sure give you a good mind adjustment don't they? Just that thinking. I tell you what when Jesus comes again. There's going to be a lot of shock and awe then. Be a lot of shock and awe. It'd be too late to surrender. Father, we thank you for everything you've done. We thank you for these precious people tonight who came to pray and fellowship in your word. And, and, uh, and people who don't want to be burned, Lord. We, we don't want to um, get burned by the stove. We don't want our eyes poked at by the Philistines. We, we don't want that kind of lifestyle, Lord. And oftentimes, Lord, our flesh craves to be burned as foolish it is is but lord we pray for your wisdom i pray for your wisdom for each person in this church each person listening tonight or on rerun later i pray lord you'll help us all to live in the fear of god
At the same time, to not be afraid of the God we fear. But to stand in awe of your mighty grace. To fear your chastening hand. As we would a father when we disobey. But at the same time, know our Father loves us. And be ready and willing to climb up in your lap and get a hug. And I thank you so much for having that kind of relationship with us. That everything you do is always for our good. And to bring us closer to you. And to keep.